Welcome everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to have you with us today. Overflow, God bless you guys. Franklin Campus, Prairie, Oklahoma, we love all of you. Open your Bibles to John chapter 9 and let's uh, look to the word of the Lord together. A special guest in worship this morning, my in-laws, Tom and Sue Wilson, are with us, Casey's parents. Uh, they gave me the best gift ever, their daughter. And then uh, as a way of paying them back, they come to visit. We let them sleep in Wade's room. Um, <laughs> Man, I ain't going in there. I haven't been, I haven't been in that room since he was in fifth grade. Um, we uh, avoid that man cave. Uh, John chapter 9. Have you ever had, uh, ever had questions that you just wish you could ask God? Uh, questions. Some of us have very serious questions. Things you just think, wow, if, if I ever get the chance, if I ever get to stand before the Lord, there are just things I want to know, questions I want to ask. Uh, and I'm that way. There are... Uh, deep questions in my heart that one day I hope to ask the Lord face to face. I'd like to know why we never had more children. Uh, we have our son Wade. We love him more than anything. We had seven miscarriages after him. I, I would like to know why. One day maybe I'll ask the Lord why. Maybe you'd like to know why uh, you've suffered. Why you must be alone. Why the Lord has you single. Why you lost your husband. Why it's so tough in school. Uh, the, the amazing thing about John chapter 9 is that the disciples have that moment. They are with Jesus face to face, and they get this moment to ask one of these burning questions, one of these big questions. And the amazing thing is Jesus doesn't really answer the question at all, but what he does next is amazing. So let's look together, John chapter 9. We're still in the series H2O. We're looking at the Gospel of John and, and digging into the theme of water. Everywhere you drill down in the Gospel of John, you're going to hit water. And the amazing thing about John chapter 9 is that the water we find is out of Jesus' own body. We're going to find Jesus spits in, in this passage. And that is so very much like the fourth Gospel, always emphasizing water, but also emphasizing Jesus' physical body fluids, his his spit, his tears, and later the, the body fluids at the cross. John is captivated, captivated with, with this idea of Jesus as the, the living water. And so we find water in John chapter 9 from his own mouth. I'm going to read all 41 verses. A lot of this is dialogue, but I don't want you to miss any of it. I want you to open your Bible to look along with a friend uh, because you're going to find something in the scripture that speaks to you this morning, I pray. John chapter 9 verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power, the word there is work, so the work of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task, the work assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. But while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. Watch this. Then Jesus spit on the ground made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same man. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, 
The man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told him, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Notice his story gets shorter every time. He gets so tired of telling this story. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. I want to stop right there. He's working on the Sabbath. Would you really call this work? I mean, Is that work? Yeah, you got to know the Pharisees. Their minds are so legalistic. They really did believe that spitting was work because if you spit, you move dust. And if you move dust, technically that's plowing. Oh, I'm not making that up. It was against the Pharisees' law to spit on the Sabbath because you might move dirt and so plow. It was also against their law to knead, you know, like make bread. And so when Jesus spits and then kneads the mud and puts it in the man's eyes, he actually kind of worked twice. Pharisees are interesting. Verse 17, Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, we know this is our son and that he's born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said he's old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this, I was blind, now I can see. Story gets shorter every time, I love it. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him. Good religious fellows. They cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Well, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes. And yet, you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? They threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, Who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he's speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. 
Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they can see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. Take your seats. As Jesus was walking along, the scripture says, he saw a what? What's the scripture say, verse 1? He saw a man. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man. Notice that this is a chapter that's going to talk about Jesus opening the eyes of a blind man. And the first thing the scripture says is what Jesus saw. He saw a man. It's interesting because when the disciples walk by and they see the beggar there sitting by the road, when they see this man, they don't see a man. What they see is, is, is a religious puzzle. They see an, an, an issue. They see a burning question, something they've always wondered. Why do innocent people suffer? That's their burning question. And, and when they see this man, it brings the, the question to mind. And so right there in front of this man, they just start discussing him. They say, Jesus, who sinned? I mean, this man's born blind, and in their world, in their way of thinking, all suffering was somehow an answer to sin. And so someone who's born blind, the question is, can a, can a, can a baby in its mother's womb sin? Could, could this man have possibly sinned even before birth so that he's born blind? Or, or maybe his parents sinned, and so the, the baby's being punished for, for the sins of his parents? Who sinned, That they ask? I mean, this is a great question, and here's Jesus right here. It's a great opportunity opportunity to finally get a question like that answered. I mean, why do innocent people suffer? Who sinned? How do you explain this man's suffering, Jesus? This is an interesting question. Do you understand? They see an issue. They see an interesting religious question. Jesus sees a man. This is not my sermon. This is the pre-sermon. But, but just let me point out to you that a whole lot of our religious discussions, a lot of the issues that we get all tied up in knots over, our whole discussion would be transformed if we would see people instead of issues. Too often in the church, too often among religious people, we see issues and we love to discuss issues. We want to talk about something like homosexuality. And so in church, we'll, we'll search the scriptures, which I encourage you to do. And we'll look at what the Bible says about homosexuality. And then we'll preach entire sermons about the issue of homosexuality. And we'll discuss the, the, the issue, the, the topic, the puzzle of homosexuality. But we never get around to actually looking at people who are homosexual. Do you understand? We don't see people. And when you don't see people, somehow your discussion, somehow your opinion always, always gets a little bit twisted, a little bit detached from the truth. Jesus is always going to help you see people. Now that doesn't mean that we'll lose the conviction that we find in Scripture, but you might find some compassion for people. We talk about issues like poverty or issues like abortion or, or divorce. For us, they're just issues. But understand, for Jesus, it is always about people. Jesus always sees people. And if you walk with Christ, he's going to make you see people too. Where the disciples see only an interesting religious question, Jesus sees a man. That's where the story begins. He sees the man. 
The disciples don't. What they see is the mother of all questions. Why do innocent people suffer? Why would this man be born blind? How could this be? Who sinned? Somebody had to sin. Jesus explained this. We've always wondered this. You understand? They're asking him the mother of all questions. Why is there suffering? Who sinned? They ask the mother of all questions, which means this is Jesus' opportunity to preach the mother of all sermons. He could do it right here. I mean, the question the disciples are asking, in one way or the other, is the question we all ask. Why is there suffering? What's the connection between suffering and punishment? Explain it, Jesus. Why? It's the gigantic why question. Why? Why do bad things happen? Why? I mean, right here is Jesus' opportunity to preach that sermon and answer that question forever for all of us. I want him to answer that. I want Jesus to preach that sermon, but he doesn't. Do you see that? He doesn't. That gigantic why question. The one that hangs over the disciples' head. The one that hangs over my head and your head. That's the sermon everybody wants to hear Jesus preach, but he's not going to preach it. He does not answer the question of why. He really doesn't. As a matter of fact, Jesus basically changes the question. And so when in your life you are dealing with these gigantic why questions, why must I be sick? Why did, why did my son have to die? Why did my family abandon me? Why don't I have any friends? Why does Jesus leave me single when I want so desperately to be loved? These gigantic why questions, you understand? People have been asking that question, why, for so long, for centuries and centuries, everybody's asked that question, and so far no real answer has been forthcoming. And in this moment, Jesus doesn't really answer the why question either. Instead, he sort of changes the question. I would encourage you, when you become paralyzed by the big why question, let Jesus change the question for you. Notice what Jesus says, digging with me. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. See right there, he just blew their minds. He just blew their minds. And then he goes on, this happened so the work of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the work assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming when no one can work. You see, Jesus changes the entire subject. We're not simply talking about why suffering. Instead, we're talking about what is God doing? What is God going to do? You see, the question for you, you're not going to get answers in just continuing to beg why. I don't know. I don't know. My hunch is if Jesus answered that question, it still wouldn't help you. Because Jesus redirects to what's most important. It's not what's happening to me. The question is, what is God doing in me? It's not why suffering. The question is, what is God going to do with my suffering? Where is God at work in the midst of my suffering? Where is God at work in the midst of this man's life? And what work is God calling me to do? Do you understand? Your suffering is in some ways beside the point. What matters is what God is trying to do in your life. What work God is doing in the midst of your pain. And therefore, what kind of work you need to do as well. 
God is still at work. That why question will hang you up. I guess the question to ask is, is God, what are you going to do next? God, what are you going to do next in me, through me, for me? What are you going to do, God? What is your work? Where are you at work? And what work do you have for me? You ever heard the name Fanny Crosby? Fanny Crosby is uh, indeed one of, the most, one of the most famous women in the 19th century. She was born in 1820. And by the end of her life, she was known all over the world. All over the world. Truly one of the most famous Christian women who, who, who has ever lived. The thing is, Fanny Crosby, when she was six weeks old, got, got a cold and a horrible infection set up in her eyes. The doctor in those days applied a mustard poultice. I really don't know what that is. But they say that his treatment damaged her optic nerves permanently. And she was blind. From six weeks old. Which means Fanny Crosby was blind her whole life. She had no memory of ever seeing anything. She lived her whole life in total blindness. But Fanny Crosby was an amazing woman of faith, even from childhood. Fanny Crosby had a, had a gift, a gift of writing and a gift of poetry. And when she was eight years old, this is her first poem. Are you ready? Fanny Crosby's first poem. This is written by a blind girl at the age of eight. Oh, what a happy child I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep inside because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. She's eight years old. That girl's on fire. Do you understand in her lifetime, she wrote something like 8,000 hymns. 8,000 hymns. Hymns, for people who love hymns, a lot of the favorite hymns are written by Fanny Crosby. I encourage you to go back and look at Fanny Crosby hymns and look at all the references she makes to, to seeing because this woman can't see. Do you understand? This is a woman who, write, who wrote Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And she writes that line, perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. She couldn't see. Do you understand? She couldn't see Physically. But she could see things that other people couldn't see. And that's what she understood. You understand? It's not so much, why is she blind? Why would God let a six-week-old baby go blind? That's horrible. That's so unfair. And I agree, it is unfair. I don't understand it. I don't know why. All I can say is, in the midst of her blindness, God did his work in her life. In the physical darkness in which she dwelt every day of her life, God shaped such an incredible kingdom heart in this woman. Do you understand? I don't know why she was blind. I have no idea why you have to suffer the way you suffer. I have no idea why things are turning out the way they've turned out in your life. But I'm telling you, if you continue to stay at the point of asking that why question, I don't know if you'll ever move forward. Jesus sets aside the why question for the most important question of what is God doing? What kind of work is he going to do in this man's life? Because that's the question. That's the question. What's God going to do now? How is he at work? And what work does he have for me? 
The man never says a word to this point. Do you notice that? He doesn't speak to Jesus. He doesn't ask to be healed. He doesn't show any kind of faith. Jesus just does something amazing. Jesus reaches down, gets some dirt off the ground. He spits. He makes mud. Smears it in the man's eyes. and Sends him off to wash his face. He comes back seeing. Did you see that? He comes back seeing. Now, I don't know exactly why Jesus chooses to do it the way he did it, because he could do it any way he wanted to. And if you notice in Scripture, Jesus heals a lot of people, and he never does it the same way twice. I think he's just showing off. He never does it the same way twice. He does it any way it pleases him. And on this particular day, he does it in the way that's going to make the Pharisees' head explode. He really does it in a way that's going to make their heads explode. But he also does it in a way that guarantees that this blind man never sees him. Do you understand? He smears mud in his eyes and sends him away. So by the time the man gets his sight, Jesus is gone. There's something about the way he heals him that at least guarantees for the moment he won't see Jesus first. He comes back to his neighbors. He comes back to his family, and he can see. He can see. And do you notice what's missing in this scripture? It's just really painfully obvious that there's something wrong with these people. What's missing? When the blind man comes back seeing, nobody celebrates. What is wrong with these people? He comes back seeing, and people say, well, who did that? Is that really him? I don't even think it's him. I think it just looks like him. What's wrong with these people? Same thing that's wrong with most everybody you know. Do you understand? It's not just that Jesus helps us to see people, really see people. It's Jesus who helps us celebrate. And for some reason, a whole lot of us just don't naturally celebrate anything. We don't give praise and glory to God. We just don't get real happy. And this is what just pains me in the scripture. This man has just experienced the most amazing miracle from, from Jesus' own hand. This man has experienced the gift of his life, and nobody gets happy for him. Not even his own mama. Nobody's happy for him. It's just amazing. That nobody celebrates. Nobody celebrates. I mean, do y'all know people like that? Who was the guy that invented the steam engine? Was that Robert Fulton? Am I remembering that correctly? Okay, if y'all don't know it, it doesn't matter if I don't know either. I think it's Robert Fulton. Google that later, somebody. I think it's Robert Fulton. They say that on the day that he was about to demonstrate for the first time the steam engine down by the river, He was down there tinkering and working, and the whole crowd was gathered. And there was a man on the shore who screamed, it'll never start. It'll never start. He just stood there heckling the man, saying, it'll never start. They'd never seen a steam engine run. All of a sudden, the great steam engine cranks up. The boat starts moving down the river, and the man on the shore shouts, it'll never stop. It'll never stop. Man, do y'all know people like that? Because I do, my goodness, not an ounce of doxology in their heart, no ability to be happy for what God is doing. 
I don't understand it, but there's something very profoundly wrong with a heart that can't get excited about what God is doing. Something dead in your heart if you can't be thrilled by what God is doing. I see this all the time. It's one of the ways that the devil will attack us when we're trying to do God's work. He'll always put somebody in our face who will just be there to throw a wet blanket on it. It just won't celebrate what God is doing. But my goodness, I, I told a pastor friend that we, we baptized 20 people in the creek this summer. 20 people in the creek. And he said, ain't that creek awful muddy? Ain't there snakes in that creek? Well, I wouldn't go in that creek for nothing. I'm thinking, I would love to push you in the creek. What is wrong with you? What is wrong? You missed the part. We baptized 20 people. Ain't it muddy down there and snakes? Man, what is wrong with people? What's wrong with people? You can say, praise the Lord. You won't believe who walked the aisle on Sunday. This man, he's been drunk for years and now he's sober. And what do I say? Well, I'd like to see how long that'll last. You know, he's done that before. He's walked that aisle before. It'll never last. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Some of you heard me tell about the lady in Franklin who said, you're the pastor of Woodburn Baptist? I said, I'm one of the pastors at Woodburn. Eric Walker's at the Franklin campus. She said, I've been trying to figure that place out. Is that supposed to be a black church or a white church? I said, well, ma'am, if you can't tell, we're doing something right. (laughs) Well, I just made her mad. (laughs) What's wrong with a person like that? What's wrong? How did a guy say that Perry, Oklahoma thing? How much is the church sinking into that? How much money is the church sinking into that? It's not costing us a dime. We're not spending any money on prayer Oklahoma. It's the most amazing thing. Not costing us anything. Well, I don't believe that. It's not costing us anything. You know the next thing he said? Well, I've always said you get what you pay for. <laughs> you can't please a man who can't be pleased. Man, this is a guy everybody knew. Everybody knew him all their lives. He'd been blind all their lives too. They knew this man. They knew his family. They knew everything about him. The most famous man, most famous blind man in the city. Years ago in Bowling Green, if you're old enough to remember, there was an old man who was blind who worked at the snack counter in the old Bowling Green courthouse. Remember him? His name was Gib Cassidy. This man was blind, blind, blind. But he worked at the snack counter. He was an amazing man. You could walk up to the blind man and say, uh, I'll take an almond joy. He turned right around. Get you an almond joy. He's blind. It was amazing. I'd get a butterfinger again just to see him go for it. You understand? He knew everything about that snack counter. He would turn around and make change. He would make change blind. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew him as a blind man. What if Gib Cassidy showed up one day seeing? 
Did you understand? It's that sort of thing. Everybody knew this man was blind. Everybody had seen him every day of their lives begging. And he shows up seeing, and nobody has one ounce of celebration for that. Not one ounce. And the Pharisees in particular, they're actually offended. They're offended by it. Well, who did this? And why did he do it on the Sabbath? Tell us one more time exactly how he did this. They're not wanting to give glory to God. You understand that? They're not wanting to give glory to anybody. All they want to do is try to figure out how to shut this down. No celebration. Of course, in the end, they lose. This blind man turns out to be very articulate, very witty. He happens to have God on his side. He He conquers them with the verbal battle. All I know is once I was blind, but now I can see. Who's going to argue with that? I was blind, now I see. What do they say? You're a sinner from birth. You've been a sinner from the beginning. They judge him. You're a sinner. And they throw him out of the synagogue. Do you understand? That's just not just a temporary thing. What they're saying is for the rest of your life, You will not worship in the synagogue again. You will never worship publicly again. You will never be one of us. For the rest of your life, they throw him out. And then an amazing thing happens. Jesus finds him. You see that? Jesus finds him. I don't know exactly why Jesus chooses to heal him the way that he chooses to heal him because it just guarantees of all things that he'll never see Jesus. He's going to have mud in his eyes. He's going to be four blocks up the street by the time he washes and and he can see. And then by that time, Jesus is gone. You see, this man has experienced this amazing miracle, but he never saw the one who touched him. After all of this ordeal with the Pharisees and his own family, after all of this ordeal with his neighbors, he's cast out alone. Jesus finds him. Why would Jesus come back to him now? Why does Jesus come and find him now? So he can see. Do you understand? So he can see. Because, because spiritual blindness is much more devastating than physical blindness. Because in this world, if you see everything that God has made, if you see everything in God's good creation, but you don't see Jesus, you understand, you haven't seen what actually matters. He comes and finds the man because, because he wants the man to, to see. It's about spiritual blindness. The fact that he was born not seeing physically matters, but it doesn't matter as much as the fact that he needs to see Jesus. He needs to believe in Jesus. He needs to worship Jesus. It's that spiritual blindness that is much more important. Often we get very concerned for our prayers for physical healing especially when we're the one that's sick. We want God to heal us, and we want miracles, and we pray for miracles, and and sometimes we get miracles. It's amazing how God can heal. It's so frustrating sometimes how God doesn't seem to heal in the way that we expect, in the way that we want. 
but stop and think about it. The real truth is, you're dying. You're dying. Did you understand? You're dying. We're all going to die. So how many times is Jesus going to have to heal you? Do you understand? You're going to die of something someday. You're going to die. We're all dying. I'll never forget a conversation with a dying woman whose name was Brooke Hall. A lot of you remember Brooke. She was a college student in our church who died of cancer. In one of my late visits with Brooke, we were talking, and you just got to know Jesus and you got to know Brooke. And I was talking to Brooke about her healing. And she said, you know, Brother Tim, I don't even think I want God to heal me now. That was really interesting. I don't even think I want God to heal me now. I said, Brooke, what do you mean? What are you saying? She said, cancer's awful. This has been awful. And if I get better now, that means one day I'm going to die anyway of something worse. Isn't that funny? If, if he heals me now, it just means I'm going to have to die of something worse. Brooke got it. You understand? I mean, death is inevitable. You're going to die. The physical healing is important, but not as important as your spiritual healing. The fact that Jesus touches the man and gives him new eyes, that matters, but not as much as when Jesus comes and finds the man and lets the man see him. You understand? He needs to see Jesus. He needs to have his, his spirit enlightened. He needs to have the blinders lifted from his heart. Physical blindness must be bad, but you understand spiritual blindness is, is, is devastating. It's, it's devastating. I can't explain why everybody who prays for physical healing doesn't get healed. I can't explain that. But I'll tell you one thing. Everyone who prays for spiritual healing gets healed. Everyone who prays for, for spiritual eyes, you understand, they will learn to see because this is the most important thing. This is what Jesus has come to do and be when he says, I am the light of the world. It's not just so every blind eye can see. Do you understand? It is so that every blind heart will see. He is spiritual light. And you and I live in spiritual darkness. And that darkness is devastating. All I know is I was blind, the man says. Now I see. Jesus comes to him. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He says, I want to. I would. Who is he? Jesus says, it's the one you're looking at. I am he. And that's when the blind man sees. Do you understand? That's when the blind man sees. That's when he worships. His eyes have been opened. My friend, some of you in the sound of my voice, you're blind. You're blind. 
You're not blind, Fanny Crosby blind. You're not blind, blind man in the Bible blind. You're blind in a much more devastating way. You don't see the Lord at work in your life. You don't see the Lord at work in your suffering, in your pain, in the suffering of the world. You don't see Christ. You don't hear his voice. You don't recognize his voice. You're blind. It is a spiritual darkness that that you live in. But do you understand this darkness is devastating? It's devastating enough in this life, but there is a life to come in which you will be in outer darkness for eternity. Do you understand the spiritual darkness, the spiritual blindness is much more serious. That's why healing the man's eyes isn't enough. He comes back, finds him, opens the eyes of his heart. You need to have the eyes of your heart opened. I struggle sometimes because it's like God doesn't answer all of my prayers. I don't always get what I ask for. But I promise you, this is one prayer that always gets answered. You pray that he will open the eyes of your heart. You pray that you can see him, that you can hear him, that you can know him. You pray that his light shines in your darkness. That prayer gets answered every time if you believe. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that those of us in this house who are blind will have eyes opened. But God, I pray a special work, a special grace, a special mercy upon all of the blind people in the sound of my voice who think they see. Blind people, oh Lord, who see what they expect to see in the world, but who do not realize what they're not seeing. Not realizing, Lord, that they don't see you. They don't see you at work in their lives. They don't have you guiding And leading their steps, Lord, I pray, Lord, for the people in this house who need to have the eyes of their hearts opened. Oh, God, there are people all around us in darkness, and they don't even know they're in darkness because the darkness is all they've ever seen. Lord Jesus, I pray that in our lives as your people that we could somehow be light, that we could at least reflect the light of your face. Jesus, there's so much darkness around us. And for some of us, Lord, there's so much darkness inside us. Lord Jesus, you say that you're the light of the world. Prove that by becoming the light in our lives, in our hearts, in our families, in our marriages, in our church, in our community. Lord Jesus, you're going to be the light of the world. Oh, Lord Jesus, start by shining your light in our hearts. We struggle, Lord, because we don't understand why, but Lord, help us to begin to understand what you're doing in the world, what you want to do in our lives. Help us, Lord, to see you at work and to see our part in the work that you're trying to do. Lord Jesus, there's plenty of suffering and darkness and pain in the world. I pray, Lord, that because you are here and because we know you, 
there will also be light. Oh, Lord Jesus, shine brightly. We pray in your holy name, but for our sakes, amen.